0: Welcome to the politics, guys. I'm Michael Baronowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. We start this listener mail episode with the fallout from what has been by far the most controversial of the 176 shows we've done to this to this date. It's hard to believe it's been wow. many. I know, you know, it's wow. But my interview with conservative townhall.com columnist Kurt Schlichter upset many. Of my fellow liberals, uh, a number of whom wrote emails, commented on Facebook and Twitter, and posted comments on the episode link on politicsguys.com. Now, first off, I, I want to thank everyone for taking the time to respond. Uh, the fact that you did tells us that you're passionate about what we do on the show, or at least what we try to do. And when you feel we've fallen down on the job, you care enough to let us know. And that, that matters. If it just would have been, you know, the response just would have been crickets, that would have been probably not a very good thing, I don't think. So, first, the positive responses. Believe it or not, there were some. Uh, a number of listeners said that they appreciated hearing a different sort of voice on the show. Someone who, you know, whether they agreed with him or not, was representative of how a large number of Americans feel. And that was exactly my intent in asking Mr. Schlichter on the show, to, to provide a sort of conservative viewpoint that you certainly won't hear from me, but that you also don't hear from Jay or from Trey. And I also thought it would be kind of a nice ideological balance to my previous interviews with Sarah Kenzior and Samuel sin Um, But a lot more of the comments were negative, and those negative reactions involved around, they kind of revolved around a few general themes here. Uh, first, that Mr. Schlichter was, some sort, was a sort of a hate spewer whose appearance on The Politics Guys goes against the kind of calm, rational discourse that, that's really foundational to our show. Second, and kind of related to this, is that I was giving him a platform for espousing irrational and hateful ideas. Uh, third, that it was okay to have him on, but I should have challenged him more. And many listeners said they felt I basically let him just kind of run right over me and that I was played by a not very good guy who was only looking to sell his books. Um, and after reading all these responses and, you know, corresponding with some folks, I, I realized I needed to do two things. First, I asked Jay to take a close listen to the episode and let me know what he thought so I could get some perspective. So Jay, what did you think? I loved it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that that's
1: I, anything you anything you want to add to that? No. I you know, here's here's the, the thing. I mean, with with these these interviews with with everything we do, uh, the goal is to 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 have a discussion and not so much to to you know, have win arguments, and and I'll I'll tell you I mean my role uh, when I'm here with Mike talking on Sundays is is different than what uh, Mr. Schlichter's role is. His job is to be an advocate and to advocate uh, for for what he believes uh, in really the strongest uh you know more visceral sort of uh, sort of way. I mean his job is to go out and win arguments, uh, whereas my role is is to more think back and and discuss and and analyze. So you know, look, he's he's doing something that is is you know a different job, and he's doing his job. Uh, I didn't find anything uh, you know on the merits that that was uh, somehow out of bounds or hate speech or something like that. I think he he used more colorful language uh, and maybe stronger language uh, to say what a lot of conservatives feel. And 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 in in fairness, I think he was in many ways not a Trump apologist. He was a. Uh, Trump is the lesser of two evils. In fact, use the word "evil" quite a bit, and we'll get to that. But um, you know, look, this is, and also, I mean, uh, Schlichter and and Town Hall uh, is not some sort of alt-right uh, outlet. I mean, Town Hall has been around for 20, 25 years. It was it was may have been like the first uh, conservative uh, site uh, on the internet when the uh, after Al Gore created it. Um, and you know, it, it's it's. Um, it's not Alex Jones. It's not Breitbart, uh, and you may disagree with them, and and uh, uh, some of the, the the language he uses might be might be a turnoff. It's not, again, it's not what I would do. But uh, but look, uh, if you you don't like them, uh, then uh, uh, then then you know. I mean, and then that's it's uh, the goal is to challenge people a little bit to, um, uh, you know what their what their own views are, and and again, I think you know Mike and I would would have a a pretty big discussion. If, if we had ever anybody on who was, uh, either, either so wrapped up in espousing conspiracy theories or, or hate speech or, uh, encouraging violence or, or just, I mean, so really off the rails. I mean, uh, but, but I don't, I don't see Schlichter as, as being that.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. That, that, that's sort of, well, I'm glad you felt that way. Certainly. Uh, so that was, you know, Jay, Jay kind of, uh, you mentioned you should have to heard me. who we
1: wanted to have on.
0: Yeah, well, 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 <laughs> well you, you know, you and you mentioned yeah. that, you know, that to me uh, previously. And that that was that was very helpful. Now there was another thing that I uh, that I also did. Second thing I, I decided to do before I get to that, I want to thank our first sponsor of today's show, which is Dollar Shave Club. Dollar Shave Club delivers an amazing smooth shave. You can get high quality blades and amazing shave butter delivered right to your door for an incredible smooth shave. You know, Jay, let me ask you this. What would you say if I pulled five dollars bills out of my wallet and set them on fire? Just set them on fire. That'd be crazy. That, that would be crazy. You know, that would be. That would be just really insane. And here's the thing. That's what you're doing, at, at the very least, if you're still buying those overpriced gimmicky blades from the store. I mean, I actually sat down and did the math. I used conservative estimates, and it's actually even a little bit more than that. Uh, per year, so why throw that money away when you don't have to? I mean, I bet everyone here, everyone listening, can think of better things to do with over a hundred dollars a year than burn it up. I know yep. I can. You
1: know. <clears throat> so, and, and also, I would say, not only are you saving that money, you're getting a much better shave.
0: Yeah. And I, saving convenience. Exactly, because you, and you're not just saying that to say it. You're saying that because you've used you use their you know their products, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And so we both use them. We both think they're in every way comparable. In fact, I would argue better than what I'd experienced previously. And so this is just a great deal on awesome products and even better for a limited time new members get their first month of the executive razor with a tube of the dr carver shave butter which is great stuff only five dollars with free shipping and after that your razors are just a few dollars a month it's a fifteen dollar value for only five bucks and in that first month's box you'll get the really nice weighty handle a full cassette of the four executive cartridges and a tube of shave butter You can only get this offer now by going to dollarshaveclub.com slash TPG. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash TPG. Check it out. You'll be really glad that you did. Okay, so the second thing that I did is I listened to the episode myself again. And when I did, you know, I kind of had your reaction, uh, I suppose. But there was one thing that I, in retrospect, wish I'd asked Mr. Schlichter about. And that was his repeatedly calling Hillary Clinton evil. Um, And so I decided, well, why don't I do that? And I reached out to him again, and he agreed to record a short segment with me explaining what he meant when he called Hillary Clinton evil. And so what I thought we'd do is we'd just play that segment, and Jay, then you and I can talk about it. Sound good?
1: Can we, can we do something in the post-production to make like the evil sound like evil, like, really thing, like so. reverb and deep voice? We'll see what we There's can do stuff. about that. Yeah. That'd so, be fun.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right. So here's what he had to say. On a number of occasions, uh, Mr. Schlichter referred to Hillary Clinton as evil. And so I thought, well, okay, that's something where maybe it would be good to get some context on that. So uh Mr. Schlichter, first off, thank you for coming back on to address this. And so uh what say you about this? In what sense did you mean Hillary Clinton is evil?
2: Well, look, I I, I first of all I appreciate you having me back. I'm 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 glad I uh, stirred up a little controversy, though I'm I'm not sure where people get the uh the, the idea that I'm some sort of Alex Jones type on the uh in the conservative spectrum, I'm I'm pretty much in the middle, and I don't go with the uh, uh, the uh, kind of a wacky conspiracy side. Um, we, you know, the the left has its own lunatics, and uh, we, we have ours. Uh, I come from a different direction, but I did characterize Hillary Clinton as evil, and I think it is important to realize why and why it's not simply rhetoric. Why I'm not just throwing out an epithet. Um, Evil uh, to me, uh, well, and to Webster's, means uh, someone malign, someone with dark motives, someone who is not out to do good. Uh, now, obviously, uh, I, I believe that Hillary is a deeply corrupt person, but, but that doesn't. That doesn't make her evil in in, in, a, in an exceptional way, nor is it why I use that term. I mean, there are plenty of politicians who are corrupt, including some of my own party. Uh, so that that's that's not it. I think the, the the reason I use the term evil to describe Hillary Clinton is directly related to her malign intent towards a significant number of Americans who she despises. Now Every once in a while she'll get come out and get caught doing it. The deplorables comment. Uh that was no surprise because that's how she feels. She feels people like me are bad people who must be punished and 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 held away from Of course, there goes the phone. It, it's Hillary. Uh that <laughs> we are bad people who must be kept from any kind of power, including the power to govern ourselves. Her attack on the First Amendment both the religious and the speech part, for me, is almost unforgivable. Uh, Her view of religion is that it is something uh, that uh, we allow you to practice. in the privacy of your own home, but it can no way influence your life and certainly can't stand in the way of what she defines as progress. And any desire uh, of a normal American to do so uh, should be met, you know, literally with the power of the state. That's why a lot of uh, uh, conservatives, uh, when they when, when when they hear liberals complain about you know something, sneer, bake me a cake. Uh, the idea that some baker who just doesn't believe that you know men and men should get married and doesn't want to make a cake and doesn't want to participate in it should be bankrupt, if not put in jail for expressing that religious view, I I think that's unbelievably hateful. Her attack on the First Amendment by embracing uh, Citizens United, which I think is probably the single most appalling uh, and disgusting thing that uh, is one of the current liberal platform planks. The idea that in a movie critical of Hillary Clinton, which is what Citizens United was, it was a a declaratory relief action by some people who wanted to make a movie critical of Hillary Clinton that ran afoul of, quote-unquote, campaign finance laws. And, you know, at one point in the first argument to the Supreme Court, the government actually argued, why, yes, we have the right to ban books that might be critical of a politician under these laws. They, they went and, you know, re- revisited that after the uh, 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 justices sat there stunned at this idea. Uh, but it, it, the underlying notion is that Hillary Clinton believes she should be able to use the power of the state which is men with guns, to go and take the freedom of people who speak against her uh, at a time and place she doesn't approve of uh, is so horrendous. I can't even, uh, I, 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 as the millennials say, I can't even. Finally, the notion that she wants to disarm normal Americans to prevent us from protecting ourselves, our families, our communities, our constitution, leaving us not citizens, but serfs. Uh, because she doesn't believe that people like us should have the power to protect our rights. Uh, Absolutely. This is a woman who hates us. And I and that's why I use the word evil.
0: So so then I'm sure, of course, that Hillary Clinton would would deny all of this categorically. And I'm I'm guessing that you would say that it it sounds to me, if I understand it correctly, is that there's this essentially contempt, you might want to call it hate for certain groups of people that's bubbling right under the surface with Hillary Clinton. And you feel that essentially when she denies these things, it's basically her covering up how she really feels about, say, the 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 Second Amendment or the First Amendment or, or, or things like that.
2: She's not for any of them, but more specifically, she wants to deprive uh, people like me and people who think like me, live like me, believe like me, of those rights, and these are not rights granted to us on some piece of paper. They didn't spring into the existence when the Constitution uh, memorialized them. These are God-given rights, rights given by our Creator. Uh, whether you're religious or not, uh, they are natural rights, and it is evil to take natural rights. It is evil to take property from other people uh, without co- just compensation. It is evil to imprison them without trial. It is evil to Uh, uh, inflict uh, cruel or unusual punishment. It is evil to prevent people from speaking freely. It is evil to prevent people from practicing their religion freely. It is evil to disarm people.
0: Would would you you, uh, agree that we might want to make a distinction between people who are doing this with what may be malign intent at people who are just wrong on policy or facts. Like, for instance, I, I disagree with you very much so on Citizens United, but, but I would like to think that I, I firmly believe that I don't actually have malign intent. It's just maybe a different interpretation of, of, of various things and so forth. I mean, so you're not, you're not saying that anyone who, dis, who holds those policy no. positions is
2: evil? No, that, 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 would, be, that would be silly. People, people have the capacity to be wrong about natural rights. I, I give Hillary more credit. I believe Hillary is smarter than that in the sense that I believe she knows exactly what she's doing and why she's doing it. and the reason she's doing it is to silence people like me right
0: Okay, well, uh, thank you so much, uh, Kirschlichter, for coming back on and uh, clearing this up. I really think that provides a lot of helpful context. I'm sure other people have some comments on this as well, but it was very, very gracious of you to take the time to come back on and clear this up. Thanks so much. Well, I-
2: Thank you. As a big believer in free speech, I think you're doing a real service. I appreciate the chance to talk to people who probably don't hear from a lot of people like me.
0: Absolutely. And that's what we're all about here on this show. And so that's why I'm glad we could have you on. Thanks so much.
2: Anytime. Thank you. Thank your audience for listening.
0: Okay. So there we go. That's what Kirk Schlichter had to say about Hillary Clinton being evil. Jay, I'll let you start off. What did you think?
1: I, well, I, I think he nailed it. Um, I I was going to come up with a bunch of other reasons why she's evil, but, um, no, I mean, he's, he's, I mean, I think particularly on the, uh, the first amendment, uh, point. Um, yeah, it's, I look, I, I suppose someone can say as you did that there can be people who have a different view of this as a different legal view and corporations are different than people and therefore don't have that right. Uh, but, he he uh, makes the conclusion that Hillary's opposition is not so much on that, but it's it's because she does not like people uh, uh, criticizing her or, or the government. And and I think there's a fair body of evidence to support that. Um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I. I'm, I, I, get, uh, I guess where I come down on this is I, I understand
0: where he's coming from, but to me, the word "evil" is uh, both incorrect. I would argue and unnecessarily inflammatory. I certainly would not. I certainly can understand the viewpoint that uh, uh, that many conservatives hold that Hillary Clinton has some animus toward them. Perhaps I don't know that I agree with that. I, but but I understand that viewpoint. But to use a word like evil, a word that you would use to describe people like, like Paul <laughs> like Potter <Donald> <laughs> or Edie Amin or, or, you know, Stalin or Hitler to me, you know, words are, words are incredibly important and incredibly powerful. And I don't want to debase such a powerful word like evil and use it to kind of divide people when you can make, the same sort of point, even if I don't even if I don't agree with that point, by using language that's not as likely to make people just shut down. And I think that's you know the one thing I think where some listeners had a point is that you know I agree with Mr. Schlichter that he is actually in terms of his policy views pretty standard conventional conservative, but his manner of expressing them definitely is 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 flamboyant, is rambunctious and while i think that helps people kind of build uh, you know bring in people who are naturally attracted to that if your goal is not to sort of preach to the choir if your goal is to try to let people understand how you think without sort of trying to push them out at the you know from the outset i think that's not going to achieve it now to be fair well, that may I, not I would be. And I, I, I'm just going to, I don't, oh, no, go ahead. I don't want to interrupt. I'm you. saying, go ahead. to be fair, you know, that's perhaps not his goal, you know? And so I don't want to say, well, he's doing the wrong thing when, you know, his, his goal could just be to basically provide a, a forum for fellow conservatives to sort of, you know, explain views and expound on things. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But of course, our mission is different. Right. Our mission is to try to bring in conservatives and liberals. And, and so in that sense, you know, certainly Mr. Schlichter would not be the kind of person who'd be a great counterpart to me on the show. You're much better at that because of how you view things in your calm, cool and collected manner and that sort of thing. So, so I guess that's sort of my reaction to that, but go ahead. You had, you had a point. You yeah, no, to
1: I, I was, what I was going to say is, is, along similar lines and uh, yeah, again, from, from philosophical, ideological positions, um, I'm pretty much on board with, with, uh, most everything that he said, um, that is sort of standard issue center, right, uh, conservatism. And it's the kind of thing you'd, you'd find in, you know, places like the wall street journal editorial page, uh, or, or whatever, most you know, probably a lot of your small town chambers of commerce type, type folks. Um. You know, I think again, I think that the role that he plays, he's he's an advocate. He's out there to uh, to convince people and to make the arguments and and uh, God bless him. That's that's and, he, and he's there to make it to a certain audience and everyone has different audiences. Uh, if you if you watch TV a lot and I suppose I probably do more than I ought to, um, you know, look at look at car commercials. Um, if you compare the way a Mercedes commercial is to a uh, Ford F-150 commercial. Um, Look, they're both selling automobiles, uh, but they're selling them to very different audiences, and they have different approaches in doing so. Um, You and I tend to be, and I don't mean this as as either to denigrate uh, him or to elevate us or maybe the other way around, but uh, we're more selling Mercedeses, right, and BMWs. Uh, you know, he he, I think is uh, trying is hitting probably a broader market than what we are, Uh, and as such, you know, there's there's different a different kind of advertising a different kind of, um, advocacy that goes on in in that kind of market. Yeah,
0: you know, speaking of advertising, well, it's almost like you designed this. uh, I want to almost just, yeah <laughs> see what I did the, there. Think our second sponsor today, Seat Geek, where you can find the best seats at the best prices. Fully guaranteed, and it only takes just a couple of taps on the app. Or if you're like me, a middle aged person, and you're more of a computer guy, just a few clicks through their website, seatgeek.com. Uh, I though I do have the app on my phone, and I, you know, I do have it uh uh, bookmarked on my, my computer, and it gives me all sorts of great recommendations tailored to my. Specific musical interest, which yeah, I believe you've called uh, eclectic, right? Is that that a good yeah. word for it? So yeah, I
1: think that's fair. Not bad, eclectic. I mean, yeah. I, I've. You introduced me to a lot of, of music that I, I wouldn't have heard otherwise.
0: Well, and that's, you know, that's, that, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Some but, of
1: it good, some of it not well, as good. Exactly.
0: But. You know, some hits and some misses, but the that's yeah. the, one of the great things about SeatGeek, One thing I really like is already it's let me know about a number of performers who were coming to Cincinnati where I live or right around there, who I would not have heard about otherwise. It's really convenient. just pops right up on my phone. Though if I, you know, don't want those notifications, I can turn them off, but I actually like, knowing about this and then once something pops up I can I can just go order it's super simple quick and easy I've timed it on multiple occasions less than 30 seconds to go from the point where I just you know type in the name to buy now that's great you know and plus you can get those updates not just on people but on venues uh, uh, on on events all kinds of stuff that you want to keep track of it'll even connect with uh, uh, Spotify your music library Facebook So you can get notifications about artists that you, you know, listen to or follow. And again, you can turn that off if you don't like. And then when you buy a ticket, they'll even put the day and the time of that event on your calendar if you want, which I think is really cool. Uh, And best of all, you get, as a Politics Guys listener, $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app, enter enter code, Politics Guy, that's all one word and no S, or you can just do it on their website, SeatGeek.com. That's promo code Politics Guy, and you get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. It's a great deal. Hope you take advantage of it. Okay. So I guess, you know, in in the end, I feel like it was a good thing that I brought uh, Kurt Schlichter on the show. I'm glad I did. I understand people's responses to it. Uh, And, you know, I don't know if... I'll have him back on again, though I think it you know, would be perhaps interesting at some point. He certainly expressed a willingness. And, you know, on a personal level, he was an incredibly nice, gracious kind of guy. This is not, and you know, we talk a lot about demonizing folks, right? And, you know, and how we are very much against that, of course. And I, he was, you know, he was personally just a really nice guy. And I enjoyed talking with him. I disagree with him profoundly on policy. And that to me is a great thing is we can have these profound disagreements on policy and still on a personal level, be okay with each other. And I think that's a strength of, of our democracy and something I think we see less of today than uh, in the past. And I think that's a shame.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. That's uh, I, I am. Um, yeah. I think you said it perfectly. Okay. Well, let's move on
0: from uh, this here and take some other listener mail questions and comments. So, you ready? Okay, Longtime listener Dave writes, Hi, Mike and Jay. Too bad you lost any subscribers due to your Paris Accord climate discussions. Now, I would like to critique also because that's the joy of listening to a podcast and not trying to produce one. Okay, so he says, Jay, in defense of state rights, Many conservatives like to call states laboratories for democracy. Okay, that's cool. The Heritage Foundation came up with a pro-business health care plan that Mitt Romney put into place as governor of Massachusetts, and it worked pretty well. Governor Brown back in Kansas just had a horrific result from cutting taxes and government services, which we talked about in a recent show. California is the third highest oil-producing state, the biggest state economy of any state, all the while having the most nanny-state stringent environmental laws. But Republicans seem to refuse to accept all evidence produced by these laboratories. If the federal government seems interested in crafting policy based on the data, if I take a wide view, it honestly doesn't seem that Republicans respect the idea of
1: state laboratories at all. Jay, what do you think about that? Oh, I, I, I think that's, I think it's an uh, interesting, interesting point, but I think maybe you're missing the bigger federal picture is that when we talk about, and I think it was Oliver Wendell Holmes who who coined the phrase laboratories of democracy. Um, Mike, you can probably check me if I'm wrong, uh, but <clears throat> it was it was a jurist of, of that era. Um, it isn't so much that we're going to try this out in the laboratory of a state, and then if it works, well, then we implement it to every state. Uh, the idea is states are different, and and therefore they can make their own policies and adjust them to the needs of of their particular state. Uh, you know, for example, you you talk about California, and uh, yeah, it's it's different than say, as uh, so I used to, you know, Nebraska or Iowa. Um, <clears throat> it's it's a different population. It's different natural resources. It's it's a different geography. It's different weather. It's it's all these things. Um, so. I, I, I think if um, uh, you know you can, there's, there's obviously maybe some conclusions that could be drawn from um, what states do, but those conclusions ought to be applied then to what other states do. They can look, look at that experience rather than saying, uh, "Listen, uh, it worked in it worked in Massachusetts, therefore it's going to work in the entire country." Um, again, that's sort of similar to saying the, the liberal thing of, Hey, this works in Sweden, therefore it's going to work uh, everywhere in the United States. Uh, I think, uh, federalism is, is designed and I, I would use, I would use the phrase federalism as opposed to state's rights. Uh, but, uh, that's, that's the way that I think the founders envisioned this. And quite, quite honestly, the other point is if, if you don't like what your state is doing, it's easier, uh, and cheaper to get your state law changed. Uh, and also, you know, there's always the, the option of relocating to a different state. I mean, that's probably pretty severe for, for a lot of people. Um, but it's, it's the idea that, uh, uh, again, people can, can govern themselves better on a, a smaller level, uh, and more, more efficiently on a small level. Um, California, I, I mentioned on the Sunday show is, is, you know, investigating a single payer, uh, healthcare, uh, plan, which if I were a Californian, I would oppose it a tooth and nail, but as a, an Ohioan and a sort of a federalist, I'm sort of, okay, have at it. Uh, if, and it works for them, great. And if Californians like it, great. um, uh, my sense is is it won't work out that that well, but but regardless, uh, it's it's Californians doing what Californians want want to do, and not trying to transplant that onto the rest of the nation.
0: You know, I don't disagree with you on that in a lot of respects. One thing I will add, though, is that certainly there is a tendency for, say, conservatives who see. Uh, successful programs, liberal programs, whether they're in California or Massachusetts or somewhere else, to essentially try to cherry pick data to say, well, it wasn't actually that big of a success, or to try to sort of cherry pick data to say, here's why it wouldn't work here. That's not to discount your point about states being different, because you're certainly right. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting this is only something conservatives do. But one of the things is that oftentimes, you know, that, that's not taken into consideration, and, and people certainly do that. You wouldn't disagree with
1: that. No, no, absolutely. Okay. No, no. Um, and, and, and again, it's, I, I think the, the the real, you know, conservative position and not only Republicans in Congress don't always feel this way. Um, but, but uh, is, is, yeah, the federal government ought to just stay out, to, uh, out of uh, as many people's business uh, as possible. And, uh, but there's always the temptation of when you're in government that you've got to do something. So, You'll take whatever uh, ideas seem to work wherever it seemed to work, and you want to uh, you want everyone to have that, <clears throat> have that benefit of uh, that, that you see us all somewhere else right, okay, so
0: Dave actually had a comment for me too, so it' was be equal opportunity oh, good, good. he says uh, Mike, during the climate conversations that you've been having, Jay often says that either the Paris Accord or environmental regulations stifle industry economic growth, etc. And you treat this as a necessary evil. I don't think that you should cede that point. There's a legitimate argument to be made for encouraging new domestic industries instead of helping the coal industry limp along and the oil industry keep the world polluted and the West dependent on Saudi Arabia, Russia, etc. for fuel. Well, Dave, you're right, you know, and I certainly didn't mean to see it that <laughs> you point.
1: Get the easy, you get the softball Well, question. you know, it's yeah.
0: because I'm right on this issue and you're not as right. So <laughs> there you go. But but no, I, I, I certainly that's a point I've been trying to make. I think that the future, uh, not just in terms of what's best for the planet, but in terms of what's best economically, is in renewables is in clean energy is in is in solar and you know and wind and other things like that that's why i think so many businesses are just essentially moving forward with their plans despite what i think just ridiculous policies from Donald Trump and Scott Pruitt and that whole group that's stuck back somewhere in the 1960s and 1970s. So I absolutely agree with you, Dave, about that. I think economically, this is a smarter move. You know, I think even, you know, companies like Exxon have suggested that we're kind of trying to move somewhat in this direction and so forth, because they see where the future is too. So if I sounded like I was seeding this point, I certainly didn't mean to, because I agree with you uh, very much so on this. So Jay, any thoughts on that?
1: Well, I, I, other than just the where I was before, of yeah, if these companies want to uh, pursue those things on their own, more power to them. Um, look, I, I'm not I'm not someone who thinks, uh, man, what we really need is more emissions. Uh, you know, and it's not like I don't think Republicans and conservatives uh, go out and say I'm I'm just going to light a barrel of oil on fire just because. Um, <laughs> so if 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 there's there's private industry out there that's moving in that direction because that's where they think the future is, or that's where they're willing to uh, to put put their bets. Uh, great, that's that's good for everyone. Uh, but in the meantime, I would I would just say, and you sort of pointed out that look, they're moving forward despite uh, what uh, what Trump says or what the uh, the Parisians uh, would would say, um, and which which to me brings up sort of the you know pointlessness of uh, of, of that treaty. Is look, stuff is going to happen on its own, uh, business wise. And, and, uh, um, you know, if, if, if that, uh, uh produces, I mean, if, if someone invents, the, the perfect solar system next week, well, that person is going to be a zillionaire and, and more power to them and all buy stock in the company. So, yeah.
0: and Unfortunately, I think there's more and more likelihood that that person's going to be from China instead of the United States. Another story. But uh, anyway, Dave ends his email uh, saying, uh, uh, sorry to pile on. I know you've gotten a lot of criticism, but these are conversations worth having. Assuming the consensus of the science is right, if we don't get climate policy right, then who cares about minimum wage and tax codes? And I think that's a really good point. All right, moving on. Listener Joe, who was a, she was a very passionate and thoughtful commentator on the Kurt Schlichter interview. She writes, I wanted to let you know that I thought Trey did a great job on the last episode. I think he's a valuable addition to the group. I sort of make a cheers analogy. Mike and Jay are Sam and Diane, and Trey has become either Cliff or Norm. Uh, Trey did—I don't know. I guess that would make— Which which one am I? Well, he said Mike and Jay are Sam and Diane, so I'm Sam, and that would make you Diane. I kind of like that way. Anyway, I
1: suppose. uh, All right. Yeah, well,
0: uh, Trey did— I am the smarter one. Well, (laughs) there you go. Uh, Trey did a great— Great job leading the episode and giving you a week off in terms of preparation. Keep up the good work. You guys are improving every week. Also, I love the interview episodes as well. Thanks so much. And thank you, Joe. We really appreciate that. Okay, next we have listener Mary Justine commenting on our one of our recent episodes saying, despite a general emotional aversion to the Cuban regime on account of personal histories, Can you explain more in-depth why so many Cuban Floridians, along with Rubio and other politicians, are so opposed to normalized relations? Also, can you explain the seemingly staunch resistance by Jeff Sessions and others to invoke executive privilege when refusing to discuss conversations with the president? Uh, What are the implications of doing so that they seem to be strategically trying to avoid? Thank you. Love the show. Listen religiously. Keep up the thoughtful and nuanced work. So I guess we'll start with the the Florida thing. Now this mostly comes from conservatives, obviously. So Jay, do you want to take this one?
1: Well, I, you know, I don't know that there there is a whole lot more, or nor nor does there need to be a whole lot more, uh, uh you know, reason for a lot of Cuban Americans to uh, oppose normalization with with Cuba. It, look, obviously, it is is emotional, and if you consider these are folks who uh, lost their homes, lost their property. Property. Some were forced to flee. Some people uh, fled uh, in in peril of their lives. Um, I I get that, and and I I would, I would think they they view any sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, a session, any any sort of um, uh, giveaway or or any sort of that's probably not the best word, anywhere, any softening to the regime as as a sign of weakness. And 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 I I understand that. I think the the argument can be made, and we've talked about this before, is sometimes is engagement better than the complete shut off. Um, in, in Cuba, they're they're going to come down, and the the you know Cuban exile community and and their descendants um, uh, come down on the no. In in this in this situation, uh, you can't engage in this uh, uh, with this kind of regime, and it just has to you know we have to push it till it falls. So I, I, I understand where they're coming from. I don't know that there's anything, anything beyond, I mean, their own personal experience that, that drives that. And, uh, I, I don't know that they're wrong. Um, you know, I think engagement if it was done more strategically than it's been done so far, um, might, might work, but, uh, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll see. Yeah.
0: I largely agree with you on that. I uh, I think uh, that, you know, Uh, taking sort of a a cool sort of uh, back, backing off and looking at the issue. Yes, engagement is the strategy that makes sense. You and I may differ on what sort of, you know, nature that engagement may be, what sort of path it takes. But as you said, for a lot of people, this is a very personal and emotional issue. And it's easy for us living in Ohio, you know, with no no family or anything like that in Cuba to say, well, yes, this is what makes sense, whatever that is. But for someone who's, you know, grandparents maybe or families, you know, were were killed by this regime or lost everything, that's a lot harder to get to that point. And so I I get where they're coming from too, and I think like like you that that's in large part what's driving that. Now, as for the uh, Jeff Sessions and executive privilege. Issue, You know, I I think I addressed this a little bit, I think it was last week, that this is exactly what if I were the president I would expect from one of my subordinates who was being loyal to say as little as possible to make sure that I don't expose my boss to any sort of potential future harm. Now, of course, as, as a member of the Senate, I would have wanted more information, but I think Sessions is being a, a good and smart Uh, you know, uh, employee in that sense, whatever, and and doing right by the president who he's serving. Now, you know, I don't agree with the president or the attorney general, but that's the sort of loyalty that Donald Trump certainly wants and expects and every president wants and respects. So that's all I think is going on there. Jay?
1: Well, I I think there's that. And I think there also is the the idea of uh, Sessions is not only representing the president, he's representing the presidency uh and and that is something that uh, in as time goes on um there are these institutional tensions between the the executive and the uh, the legislative branch and those were built into the constitution and and this is one of those examples and i think it's you know incumbent upon each of those branches to sort of defend their turf um just because uh again you might not, uh, you know, Trump isn't always going to be the president and we're executive privileged to be, uh, eroded, uh, by, uh, essentially, a a, a lot, of, a big waiver of it, um, in front of Congress. I think, uh, Democrats would miss it years down the road. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's a good point. All right. Um. Then there's listener uh, Wayne, who left a comment on our website, politicsguys.com. It was uh, very uh, uh, thoughtful and involved, so I edited it a little bit, but here we go. If you recognize that both environmental damage and terrorism are threats to the United States and our people, then the weakness in Jay's logic during your climate discussion becomes evident. Jay supported Trump's decision to exit the Paris Accords, arguing that the United States is economically disadvantaged by our voluntary commitments to Paris, including financially supporting developing nations' efforts to mitigate environmental damage. Yet, when it came to Afghanistan, Jay advocated strongly for unilateral U.S. military action without regard to the financial and economic implications, not to mention the possible loss of, life, uh, loss of American lives. <laughs> Jay appears to be willing to continue to expend America's treasure and blood in a country that, as argued on the podcast, appears incapable of establishing a stable and effective government, relegating America's role to an occupying police force that is unwanted. One can argue that whatever happens over there affects us here for both terrorism and environmental damage. Disengagement from an active leadership position with other nations on improving the environment is the same as arguing that. My section of the boat is dry while the whole boat is sinking. We need to be working together. Disengagement from the rest of the world, particularly on something that is as universally aligned as the Paris Accords, weakens America, both in our ability to achieve needed environmental objectives and creates a dynamic that weakens America's position with other collaborative engagements, for example, the fight on terrorism. Jay's arguments and approach to each demonstrate an underlying set of assumptions that views environmental damage as principally a local problem addressed through capitalist mechanisms, while his approach to terrorism, especially in Afghanistan, appears to require military, not capitalist mechanisms to address. It is my belief that both are serious worldwide problems that require active leadership and participation by the United States. So, Jay, what do you think about uh, that? That analogy that that, comparison. Wow,
1: that No, I got I gotta tell you that's that's probably that's a better argument than you made. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well there you go. No, no, look, I think I think those are those are good points. Um, my response would be, uh, first of all, where can we do the most good that we know we're doing the most good, um, and that is, you know, in in the area of terrorism. I think we can say we have more success. Uh, we can have a, a better sense of uh, here's what we're doing, here's the progress we're making um, than we can at the environmental level. Um, for example, you know, one of, one of my criticisms of the, the Paris agreement has been uh, even if we did absolutely everything we were supposed to uh, and met all our commitments, even more, um, there's no guarantee anyone else would, would do it. Uh, nor is there, really a guarantee that it, it would work. Now, I understand there's no guarantees that our, our anti-terrorist policy would work, but I think there's stronger evidence uh, to say that if you have a, a, a you know, metastasizing, uh, you know, terrorist threat, uh, and you can deal with it militarily and and uh, take it out and stabilize the country, uh, which again, stabilizing Afghanistan is no easy task. And I think we, we would look at that and say, no, it, it you know, uh, uh, may well be impossible, but I think the immediate benefits of that are are more uh, able to be realized. Uh, I would also, whereas with with an environmental um, the environmental issues, and and again I I would draw a, a line here between really what the the science behind the Paris Agreement says, and and what you know other environmental prophets of doom, Al Gore and so forth say, uh, that. Listen, things even, even assuming we have uh, a rise in temperature of 1% of to 2%, uh, I, I think the, the effects, uh, the, the claimed effects are, are greatly exaggerated for political purposes. Uh, and there are, there are steps that can be taken uh, to mitigate those, those steps or mitigate that damage that are going to be cheaper. Uh, and more effective in the long run than uh, curtailing our industry. So that's, that's where I come down to that, but that, no, I would say that's a really good, good argument. Um, uh, And, and nothing is, nothing is certain, but I see, I see more certainty uh, uh, in the war on terrorism than I do in uh, our agreeing to this, this particular non-binding agreement.
0: Okay. Now, now I understand your position on climate change policy, which I think I have a pretty reasonably good grasp on it, at least. One of the things that you've said a number of times is that you feel that it's going to be easier for us to deal with this issue in the future because technologies will be invented and so forth uh, that that will make it you know easier for us to mitigate the effects of this sort of thing. and and if that's right, I guess you'd say that that's not the case. While that is the case for the environment, that's not the case for uh, for for terrorism. Where if we just let it go longer, we're going to develop better
1: technologies to deal
0: with terrorism.
1: Right, right. I, I don't, I don't see. I mean, unless we come up with some like, yeah, really cool super weapon that can that can analyze who is a uh, Islamic jihadist uh, extremist and and you know, all a sort of a minority report type thing, uh, take them out beforehand. Uh, no. Um, in terms of the idea of, of capitalism, I, I, I support uh, capitalist approaches to improving the environment, but not in Afghanistan. Uh, I would say absolutely we ought to have capitalist uh, uh, solutions to places like Afghanistan. Uh, but those won't take root until you take out the guys with guns. And and that necessarily, uh, I think, means a, a military response uh, or, or a military presence uh, to get that baseline security before you can even talk about these other longer term investments and opening up a society and and having a functioning marketplace and a functioning democracy.
0: Yeah. And it's, you mentioned a functioning marketplace and a functioning democracy. I mean, that of course is one of the other problems is just because you, you can kind of tamp down the, the, the threat, the military threat Unless those institutions are there and are strong and are stable, and you know, we talked about this, uh, we talked about this in our Sunday show, right? What happened in, in Venezuela? What happened in Russia and so forth? And you can you can throw tons of money, tons of uh, tons of resources into that, but as long as that's not there, it's going to be throwing it down a you know down a hole basically, because you're never going to get where you want to get to without that. And and there's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot of I I don't have a whole lot of faith in that happening in Afghanistan without us spending orders of magnitude more than we're spending right now. And I would rather have us spend that money on on the environment, which I think is number one a greater threat. So you and I disagree on on the science and so forth on that. But then on then on throwing our money down this kind of hole of of Afghanistan. But
1: well, you know, if 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 we're talking about uh, government. Uh, investment in Afghanistan uh, after it's secured, yeah, I'd probably agree with you. Um, but if we make it, we make it safe for private investment. Uh, you may see people try to to go in and and create some kind of private investment, or you or you may not. I mean, again, I think uh, you know, again, Afghanistan is one of those places that is is uh, has never had democratic institutions to sort of fall back on, uh, or that will just sort of uh, regrow uh, once once the Taliban is gone. Um, they've got to they've got to be created from scratch and, and it's got to be sort of organic. Now, you know it's it's a weird sort of sort of thing because you can look at places like um, you know Southeast Asia or not Southeast Asia more more Northeast Asia uh, in Korea uh, and, and Japan uh, that didn't necessarily have those democratic institutions, uh, but we stayed around a while and they adopted them and 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 they've grown and, and are strong. Um, uh, but but regardless, yeah for Afghanistan to i mean it's going to to be you know a decades you know perhaps centuries before they're they're really uh you know have those kind of institutions and maybe the best we can do in the interim uh is to to stop the spread of the uh you know the ideology and prevent a, a terrorist base from growing there um and uh you know likewise there's only so much we can do uh environmentally and uh, on our own uh, i i do I do appreciate though the idea of of uh, the being the leader of the coalition, and I think that's 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 important. And I think you made that same import, same point that you know what Paris accomplishes is uh, is just more the the continuation of an engagement uh, rather than any particular policy goals. Um, what I would like to see would be maybe the u s. step up in a leadership role uh, to work on 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 a different type of of um, uh, you know, response to climate change rather than just the typical here, we're going to limit, you know, carbon emissions in each country and hope that those, those countries comply. So
0: another, another uh, issue for another show, certainly. And of course we're, we're kind of pushing up against it. In fact that what we do appreciate the question, I think, you know, I I agree with you that that was a Wayne had a great way of putting that. And certainly we both agree that climate change and terrorism are two very important international issues and they are both very, very difficult issues for sure. Um, all right. Well, that does it for this Politics Guys episode. We hope you liked what you heard and that you will check out today's sponsors. The first is Dollar Shave Club. New members get their first month of that executive razor to but Dr. Carver shave butter for only five dollars with free shipping, and after that, razors are just a few bucks a month. That's a fifteen-dollar value for only five bucks. And to take advantage of this offer, go to DollarShaveClub.com/tpg. That's DollarShaveClub.com/tpg. Also, SeatGeek, the fast and easy way to get great tickets to live events at a great price. Politics Guys listeners, you get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com and enter promo code POLITICSGUY, all one word, no S, today. That's promo code POLITICSGUY for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And if you've got questions, comments, corrections, or just random thoughts you want to share with us, you can reach us at mail at politicsguys.com. Facebook page where you can message us and where we post throughout the week is facebook.com slash guys page. We're also on Twitter at politics guys. We'll be back with a new show next week. We hope you'll join us.